Um, hey, this morning I want to uh, I want to start with a. Uh, are we okay? Got a little bit of an echo here. It's all right. We'll fix it in a minute. Pull this a little bit down. This morning I want to actually start with uh, a correction. Uh, when I'm wrong about something, I want to be the first to admit it. And last week I said something that I was wrong about. And so I want to lead with that today. Uh, last week we had spoken about Romans chapter 13 and about submitting to your government. And uh, uh, I had mentioned that we need to be praying for our president um, because he had last week uh, made a decision uh, to no longer defend uh, the federal law on marriage, the Defense of Marriage Act. And at the time, I said that that this was uh, the first time in U.S. history that a sitting president has um, defied or declared not to uphold U.S. law. That's not accurate. Uh, We have a couple, a few instances. We don't have many, but we have a few instances, most notably the Emancipation Proclamation in which Abraham Lincoln defied Congress and the Supreme Court in declaring something uh, to be unconstitutional, namely slavery. Um, of course, we all, hundreds of years later, look, look back on that and we applaud it. We, we look at that and we say the ends justify the means. Uh, it was good for President Lincoln to do what he did. Um, the difference here, while not unprecedented, it has historical precedent. And I was wrong on that. The difference here is uh, the ends don't justify the means. And so what my, my, my asking of all of us to pray for the president still stands. Uh, his, his, uh, what he has decided to do in uh, uh, refusing to uphold our laws on marriage is an affront to our Constitution, and an affront to God. Um, And so I stand by that, although it does have historical precedence. I do need to make that uh, correction. Having said that, I want to remind us of the spirit of of this. And the spirit of my message last week was, we need to be praying for our president. Uh, I submit to him. I honor him. He's my president. He's our president. And I commit to praying for him every day, and I will be the first uh, to praise him when he, if and when he corrects this wrong. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I stand by the statement that this is not lawful for a president to do. And, uh, and I, I ask all of us to be praying for him that he would uphold our Constitution, would uphold our laws, and most importantly, that he would uphold God's standards. And we certainly know what that is on the issue of marriage. So with that, uh, let me open us up in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll, we'll get to our last part of Romans chapter 13. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we've come here today, Lord, to be edified, to be encouraged. We've come here today to worship you and to be taught. We've come here today, Lord, to be replenished and strengthened. God, I pray that all of those things would happen now. 
Father, we, we do, as a, as a church, we lift up our, our president, we lift up our nation's leaders, our state and local leaders, our judges. God, it is hard for them to lead. I have no doubt. It is difficult to make decisions. We, in, we look at decisions and sometimes we don't have any idea the complications that go into each and every decision. But Lord, we do ask and pray that you would help our leaders to act in ways that would be becoming of you. And Father, we commit to submit to them and to respect them and to honor them. But Lord, uh, in the rare chance that that our leaders take a misstep, we pray that the church would also be humbly able to correct and to call out what needs to be made right. So Lord, bless our president. Give him wisdom. Give him carefulness as he governs our our nation. Father, there's so much in the world too that we ask for prayers for. For Egypt and Libya. For Iran, Iraq and Afghanistan, North Korea. There's, there's turmoil, Lord. We, we can sense it. But we know that Jesus Christ is going to be on the throne one day. And so we have that as our final hope, Lord. Let that be our final encouragement. And let that knowledge of His future reign give us the steps that we need to take in the here and now. Father, bless our time in Your Word today. May Your Spirit lead and guide it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. As you're turning there, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, what I like most about waking up in the morning. And I don't know about you, but for me, the best part of waking up is Folgers in my cup. Uh, I mean, really, isn't it? Now, actually, I don't like Folgers, but I just had to say that. But really, how many of you remember that commercial, by the way? Okay, good, good. All right, good. Something, you know, I didn't know. Had no idea. Some of the young folks, Corey. Okay, good. Uh, it is the best part of waking up. Just smell that coffee when you wake up in the morning. For those of you who are coffee drinkers, there's nothing better than to set that, uh, that automatic coffee timer and uh, to wake up in the morning and you can hear it, you know, just starting to, starting to heat up and then you can start to smell it and you go, oh, that smells so good. And that, that's what gets me out of bed sometimes, I tell you. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 8, Paul's going to talk about something that wakes you up. He's going to talk about something that gets you going. And you know what that something is? It's love. It's love. The title of my message today is Love Awakening. Love Awakening. Hey, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Let's all stand as we read this together, shall we? Let's all stand together. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes this. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love does no harm. Uh, 
excuse me, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the days, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You may be seated. Verse 8, Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, it's interesting that Paul says that because he's just got through saying a number of other things earlier in chapter 13. Do you remember the end of chapter 13? Paul says at the end of chapter 13 in verse 7, he said, Hey, pay your taxes, pay your customs, pay what is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Fear to whom fear is owed. He spent the first whole part of Romans chapter 13 dealing with how we are to submit to our governing authorities. And he also dealt with what we are to give them. What we are to offer to them. And he says, look, pay your taxes. you got, you got bigger fish to fry than to focus on avoiding taxes. Or to go about complaining about how much taxes you pay all day long. Paul's just got through saying what you ought to pay, what you ought to owe. And he says, look, rid yourself, rid yourself of any debts or obligations. But as you do, realize this, there's going to be one thing that you still owe. There's going to be one thing that you still need to give. And it is this in verse 8 of chapter 13. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves has fulfilled the law. You know, this is in line with Jesus and what Jesus had to say back in the New Testament. In John chapter 13, Jesus said that, that he gives a new commandment, right? Jesus brought, brought in and ushered in the new covenant and he brought with him a new commandment. And he said in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I've been thinking about um, this exhortation to love. And I don't know about you. You can correct me if, if, if I'm the only one. But isn't it interesting how when we think about love and when we think about how to, who we ought to show love toward, isn't it interesting that it is often those closest to us that we can treat the worst? You know what? Have you ever noticed that? It's sometimes it's the people that we are most comfortable with that in the end we treat poorly. Husbands, I'm talking about how you treat your wives. Wives, how you treat your husbands. Parents, 
how you treat your children, how you treat your best friend. It seems to me that as we, as we consider the Christian admonition to love, um, one of the things that, that trips me up and I think can trip all of us up is that we can uh, maybe reach out to others and, and show them love and, and, and be, be very respectful and, and honorable in our dealings with others and yet go home at the end of the day and treat our family poorly, treat them disrespectfully. Um, we forget about the admonition to love when we go home and when we get complacent. Perhaps that old adage, familiarity breeds contempt, uh, comes into play. We, we're just so familiar, we're so comfortable that we let our guard down and we forget the admonition to love. You know, uh, this is something I, I rarely do, but I, I do want to point out a few things about how we can become better at uh, loving. And I want to point out some very, very practical things. I actually want to show you a, a book that many of you may be familiar with. In fact, I'm sure most of you are. The Five Love Languages. How many of you are familiar with that book? Raise your hand. Okay, great. For those of you that aren't, um, I, I want to get really very practical. I want you, you to, to go out and to find this book and to take a look at it. Um, this book is by a Christian author, Gary Chapman. Um, it, is, it is grounded in Scripture. Um, it is an excellent book on how to love and how to show others love. In fact, one of the things that Gary Chapman mentions is that we need to realize as we are expressing love to our wife, to our husband, to our children, to those in, in, our, in our friends and our circle of influence, we need to realize that each person receives love in a different way. Uh, for some, it's, uh, for some they, they receive love by, by physical touch, by hugs, and, and, and by uh, just physical uh, affection. Others receive uh, love by the giving of gifts to other people. Some, it's words. Uh, we're words of affirmation. I know that's one for my wife. She loves to hear words of affirmation. For me, my, uh, what you would call my love language is, uh, is quality time. If, if you want to uh, show me love, it's spend time with me. My wife uh, also, hers is, is maybe, I think, words and gifts. And so it's interesting because we usually express love in the way that we like to receive it. So my wife is often found giving me gifts over and over again. And, uh, and we've learned in our marriage that, that that tells me that actually that's how she wants to be loved. Whereas when I receive a gift, it's kind of like, oh, okay, thank you. you know. But I would much rather you sit there on the couch with me and just spend time with me. Um, I, I bring this up to get really practical about loving one another. I believe this book is an excellent resource for you. And I actually wanted to bring up one more thing, too. When you go to their website, I've given you their website, Five Love Languages. At the very bottom, it says, Take the Quiz. You can find out how you receive love. You can find out how, how it is that maybe your spouse or someone in your family can show you love. And also, uh, for husbands and wives, you have your spouse take it, and then that will help you. Express to them love. Express to them how you care for them. So I encourage you to check out that website. Take the quiz at the bottom. There's one other uh, book I wanted to refer you to, and it is the book Love and Respect. There is no greater book on marriage than this one, in my opinion. Um, and I wanted to just make these two resources <clears throat> uh, known to you folks. Uh, our Melting Pot group did a study on love and respect about three years ago. Um, by far, it was one of the most powerful studies we've ever done. 
And uh, it's a book that I would recommend reading every, every year almost, just as a refresher, just to remember uh, what it means to be in a marriage relationship, what it means to, to guys to, to love your, your wife and for uh, ladies, for you to, to show respect to your husband. In fact, it's often the case that respect, uh, respecting a husband is the way you show him love. So I wanted to give that very practical, um, down-to-earth uh, thoughts on, on love there. But for Paul, you know, it, it, it goes beyond just our inner circle, of course. The admonitions to love goes beyond our inner circle. And so I ask you this, who is it? Who is it that you despise? Who do you despise? Do you despise a, a family member, a friend? Who is it that you avoid? Who is it that you have ill will toward? Paul says you need to love them. Paul says you need to love them. And so whoever it is in your life, and, and I'm sure you can think of someone even now. I mean, who is it right now that you, you just avoid? You think of them and you're like, I don't, I don't want to spend time with them. You, maybe you have bad feelings toward them, something they've done in the past. Jesus says we need to forgive. We need to forgive unconditionally. Paul says we need to love. We need to love unconditionally. Are you a person of love? Are you imitating Christ, imitating Paul in that way? Why should we love? Paul continues in verse 8. He says, uh, for he who loves has fulfilled the law. He goes on in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I don't know about you, but that last part is really a, a, a strange way of saying it. Don't you think? Paul, in giving his, okay, he gives the admonition, right? Love. Owe no one anything except to love them. Owe no one anything except to love them. And then he starts saying, why? And one of the main reasons he says at the end of verse 10 is because love does no harm. Now, I, for, for me, just as a reading it plainly, that seems like a very strange reason, is it not? Paul's kind of mentioning that reason in the negative. He says, why should you love? Because it doesn't do any harm. Why did Paul talk like that? Well, for those of you that know your history in the book of Romans, you know that among the many people to whom Paul was writing, a good portion of them were Jews. Jews living in Rome. There were a number of Jewish believers in Rome and as new converts to Jesus, these Jews knew that Messiah had come in Jesus Christ and that a new era or a new covenant had just begun. And still, their ancestors before them for some 1,500 years had been following what? The law of Moses. They had been for 1,500 years going through and studying and adhering to the law of Moses. And 1,500 years of routine is hard to break. And so Paul, throughout the book of Romans, is helping these Jews get through that transition. 
That is why if you read earlier in the book of Romans, if you read particularly chapter 2, right in the middle of the chapter, through chapter 3, you see Paul mention the law some 32 times. Why does he mention the law so much? Because he's helping new Jewish converts get a grasp on how this Jesus relates to the law. And how this Jesus and our salvation by grace through faith in Him actually fulfills the law. Paul was helping his audience understand this. And so when... Uh, And he did this to establish rapport with them, to speak in their language, to use their terminology. And so when Paul had a chance to tell them, to tell these Jews how they could fulfill the Old Testament law, he gives them the key to that fulfillment in language that they would understand. Much like Moses told Israel what they should not do, so also Paul tells the Jews precisely what love will not do. Love will not do harm to your neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, mark this. Moses frequently told Israel many things that they were not to do. And these many negative commands helped Israel understand how to please God and fulfill His will. These negative commands. So also Paul tells the Jews in Rome one thing that love would not do. And that one negative affirmation helped the Jews to understand that loving others is precisely how they can please God and fulfill His law. Love will do no harm to your neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's a a picture of Paul speaking in the language of the Jews. He's using their terms. And he's saying it in a way that we look at and we think, I don't don't know that I would have put it that way, but for the Jews who were reading this letter, they were nodding their heads in understanding and agreement. Of course, Paul doesn't just go throughout the New Testament and keep saying the negative side of love. He always says the positive as well. There are many instances in which Paul says what love does. Namely, we find that in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, a passage many of us are familiar with. Paul writes, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7 It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so here Paul's giving the positive side of love. What love does. What it does. I I ask us to consider of these qualities, of these characteristics of love. Where do you lack? Where do you lack? Maybe write down one or two characteristics here that, that you look at and you think, wow, I'm really, I'm really deficient in that area. Are you patient? Are you suffering long with others? Are you kind? Do you have a problem with envy? Do you have a problem with pride? Are you rude? Are you rude to your spouse?
What are, what are ways in which you can love better? It is truly all about love. The New Testament is. Jesus speaks of it so often. Paul, John, Peter, after him. It is all about love. We are all, we are all looking for um, meaning and purpose in life, you know. We're all looking for inspiration. We're all looking to, to, to be and to do something great. We're all looking to live a life of significance, right? And I ask you this, if you want that life, if you want a life of purpose, if you want a life of meaning, if you want a life of significance, if you want a life where you are inspired, then Paul would say to you, owe no one anything except to love them. Be good at loving other people and you will find purpose. You will find significance. You will find inspiration that will carry you through difficult times. Be good. Be exceptional at loving others. Look at Christ, how He loved. Watch Paul, his pastoral concern for others. Peter and John and others. Study how they loved in the midst of those who sinned against them in the midst of those who would even crucify our Lord. And yet he looked upon them and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Are you good at loving other people? Where do you need to improve? Not long ago, we studied uh, spiritual gifts and we've endeavored to better use our gifts for the Lord. Now, spiritual gifts are a wonderful way to find significance in life. They're a wonderful way to find meaning in life, and in fact, is certainly a component of living out the Christian life and living it out well. But it's interesting what Paul says just a few verses earlier when he compares spiritual gifts to love. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, look, of all the gifts, of all the qualities, of all the characteristics I could have that would bring significance and meaning and purpose and inspiration and hope to me, he says, love is at the top. I must be a person of love. And if I am not, nothing else will matter. It's a dramatic statement. He goes on to say in the next verse, look what he says here. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Do you realize how radical of a message that is? We think it quite honorable um, to do humanitarian work, and it is. We think um, today, uh, I think the church is awakening again to the importance of humanitarian work. And praise God for it. But Paul here says, it does not matter if I forsake all to feed the poor. It does not even matter if I give up my own body. If I have not love, 
it profits me nothing. That is a radical statement. And we might remember what James said in James 2. Remember what James said? He said this, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Interesting that Paul used the same word. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But notice the difference. Now, James's words here are very compelling. Compelling. Uh, scary at times for some who, who, uh, who can misinterpret James too. But these are compelling words. We read it and we think, my goodness, I don't want a faith that is dead or useless. I, I want a faith that is alive. I want a faith that is, that is filled with the Spirit of the Lord. But notice, as compelling as James's words are, Paul's are more so. How do I know? Because James is instructing you, if a brother or sister is naked, to feed them, to clothe them. And if you don't, your faith is dead. Compelling. But Paul goes further. Paul goes even more. Paul says, even if you feed them and you clothe them, but you do so without love for them, it profits you nothing. We are mistaken to think that James' words are more forceful than Paul's. It's just the opposite. Just the opposite. If we want a faith that is profitable, if we want a faith that is alive, if we want to have a, a testimony that is, that is vivid and filled with life, if we want a faith that is full of the Spirit of God and not a faith that is apathetic and lethargic, then James says, feed the poor, clothe the sick, and Paul says, oh, and by the way, as you do, show them love. Love them deeply. Or else it won't even matter. Together, these are, these are some strong admonitions for loving one another. It's all about love. Do you want meaning? Love. Do you want inspiration? Learn how to love. Do you want significance? Learn how to love. Paul says, wake up, Christians. Wake up. You have no greater mandate than to love. Notice what he says in verse 11 of chapter 13. And do this, knowing the time, uh, that, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Wake up, Paul writes, knowing the time, the day, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The time of deliverance, the time of the end is near. It is nearer today than, than when we first believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true of every single one of us. We are that much closer to being reunited forever with Christ in His kingdom. And, uh, you know, to, 
Paul's words today could not be more applicable. They really could not be. Uh, I think of, of Jesus' um, predictions in, in Mark 13, not only about his own generation, but about the generation that would see the end. These are some of the things that Jesus warns us about. He says, wars, there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be famines, Christians are going to be arrested, they're going to be beaten, they're going to be martyred. And the gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. Well, let's see. Let's, uh, let's see. This week uh, we have war in Iraq. We have war in Afghanistan. We have war in Libya and Tunisia. Civil wars. We have potential war between North Korea and South Korea. Uh, we have the potential uh, future conflict with Iran. Do, do we have wars and rumors of wars? Of course. Famine. One need not look further than the entire continent of Africa to see famine widespread. Earthquakes, what we saw in New Zealand, what we saw in Haiti. We're seeing them with, with rapid frequency. Christians being arrested, being beaten, being killed. This week, a, the only Pakistani Christian in the government of Pakistan was murdered. He was murdered in his car, just outside his home, I believe. Why? Because he was proposing legislation to remove the death penalty from those who either convert or speak freely about Islam. Convert from Islam to Christianity or who speak freely about Islam. If you were to read our, our bulletin prayers, you'll, you'll note other Christian pastors and leaders imprisoned in Iran and other parts of the world. One who, praise God, was just freed, I believe, in Afghanistan. Friends, it is ramping up. I tell you, it is ramping up. More so today than we've seen in many, many years. Today we see uh, conflict in Libya and Tunisia. We see uh, conflict as well in Egypt and Iran. And these are not insignificant nations in which there is conflict. I encourage you, uh, we're not going to go through it uh, today, but I encourage you to go home and I, I ask you to read three chapters. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Read Daniel chapter 11. That will be some good food, food for thought as you consider the times that we are living in. In Egypt, 38 and 39, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice the nation of Libya is mentioned with Egypt in cooperation perhaps with most likely the nation of Russia. Um, and, and, and these names are not insignificant. They're not, well, that was 2,000 years ago, you know, or Ezekiel, that was 2,500 years ago, and his words there don't really apply to uh, the present date. That's not true. Do you know that in the time that Ezekiel wrote chapters 38 and 39, when he said Libya, it was in the same geographical territory as Libya is today. In the scriptures, when you see the, the, the country of Libya, you should think northern Africa, Libya, Tunisia. When you see uh, Ethiopia, interestingly, you should think southern Africa. When you see Persia, you should think Iran. And there, and there are many others we can go over. And uh, 
I've been praying over what to teach uh, coming uh, after our, our time in Romans, and I've really been being uh, led by the Lord, I believe, to, to teach in the book of Daniel. And so perhaps uh, this summer or early fall, we, we may begin a, a study on what is to come. Obviously, Daniel has a tremendous amount of history at the forefront of the book, but then also a tremendous amount of what is to come. And so uh, pray with me as we consider what what to go over next in, in God's word. But it is not without coincidence that these uprisings are happening in these countries. What needs to happen for the end times ruler of this earth, the king of the north, the beast, the antichrist, what would need to happen for him to rise up and to gather together a large force of nations along with him, there would have to be unrest. There would have to be uprisings. There would have to be kings and nations that fall. Civil wars. So what we are seeing here, friends, is not coincidence. I urge us, as Paul urges us, he says, it's high time to wake up. It's high time to wake up. Are you watching this? Are you aware of what's happening? Regardless of your views of eschatology, we cannot deny that this is ramping up. And Paul says, do this. Do what? Verse 11. Do this. Do what? Love. Owe no one anything except to love one another, knowing the time it is high time to awaken out of our sleep For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What must we do in reaction to this? What must we do in reaction to everything that we see on the global scale? Paul says the first thing is to love. It's to focus on loving one another. Keeping our eye on the prize. To love one another. And I think the words of of Hebrews 10 ring truer today than ever before. We know them well. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I cannot stress enough how much we need each other at a time like this. Um, I could... uh, I was at a... (laughs) I was at a, 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 a forum... Uh, a couple weeks ago, and there was a very prominent um, Christian professor. Um, he has had a history in what is commonly known as, you know, church growth. He, he talks a lot about church growth, how to how to grow your church, how to get more numbers, get more attendance, a healthier church, a fit church, etc. And I found myself listening uh, to what he was saying. And, uh, and, and there was a lot of good things, a lot of good things that he talked about, how, how to grow a church and how to make a church stronger and more healthy. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, uh, some of the questions from other pastors and church leaders, it was, it was clear that, that many in the group, their concern was numbers. You know, their concern was numerical growth. And, of course, that, that, that should be a, a part of what the church is aiming for. We should be hoping to grow in numbers. Absolutely, we should be hoping to grow numerically. I would hope that Coast Bible Church grows numerically. We, we need to grow. But more than that, we need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Those who are here now need to realize that it is high time to awake. 
It is not the day to suppose that, that, that coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ is optional. This is not that day. This is not that time. And I, I fear that we, we get distracted. I know we do. We get distracted with vacations. We get distracted with sports. We get distracted. Well, we're not feeling that good. Got a little sore throat. And so we, we, we make those decisions and we stay home perhaps when it's probably likely that we could have come. I tell you today, I don't ask you to come to church so that you would be a warm body in the pew. I ask you to come to church because I need you. And we need each other to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. I look at the world today, I read my newspaper and the internet, and I get a little bit frightened. I get a little bit scared. I get a little bit depressed. And when I come here, this is when I get strengthened. This is when I get bolstered up. This is when I remember all is not lost. But when we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, when instead we push, off, push aside Sunday morning and consider it optional, consider it, well, maybe we'll go today, we are missing the point. We need each other. Amen? We need each other. I need you. I tell my elders with every meeting, I feel like I need you guys now more than ever. We're, we, look at our, we look at our bulletin. We see how many prayers there are. We have more prayers today than we've ever had as a church. We look at the world. We see more turmoil than we've seen in years. I look at individual lives, and I know that many of you are dealing with intense personal conflicts, family conflicts. We're dealing with spiritual warfare right now with some of the families in this church. Significant spiritual warfare. And Debbie is meeting in the upper room before the service on Sundays. It just got started. There's going to be a team assembling to pray for this church. There's, there's few greater things we can be doing. I urge you to, to meet, meet behind that door and walk straight up those stairs 9.15 in the morning on Sundays. Every Sunday we'll be meeting for prayer up there as a church. There's no greater... There's few greater mandates right now, folks. Exhorting one another as we see the day approaching. Ready yourself for what is ahead. If you believe the Bible, then you should also believe that things are going to get harder. Let me say that again. If you believe in the Bible and you believe in what God's Word is telling you, then you should know that things are going to get harder. The Bible says that the love of many will grow cold. Cold apathetic, people will fall away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is delivered. That is the Lord will look upon them and strengthen them in their time of weakness. Above all, let us remember that according to 1 Thessalonians 5, God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. 
verse 12 to the end of the chapter. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Plenty of time for the night, Paul says, but the day is at hand. Cast aside the works of darkness, revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife, and envy. We all struggle with certain sins. Paul says it's high time to get rid of those. Now more than ever, repent of your sin, turn to the Lord, get right. The time is short. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Friends, we need an awakening. We need an awakening. And for, for us today, Paul says that awakening begins with love. It is a love awakening that we are to be alerted to. That when we wake up in the morning, besides smelling the coffee, we are to live and breathe the admonitions to love one another, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to encourage one another, to build each other up as we see that day approaching. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be a people who loves we want to follow Jesus in that way. God, we, we desperately need to be awakened by this admonition to love. Few greater mandates are there for us in the New Testament, Lord. And I pray that, uh, that Father, today it would start at home. We would love our husbands and love our wives. That we'd love our children. That we'd love our friends. That we'd love one another here that we'd even love our enemies. It is high time for us to wake up to what is around us. And God, You have called us first and foremost to respond in love. And to respond in meeting together. Intentional togetherness. Realizing that as we meet and as we love each other, we will be building each other up, fortifying our faith, fortifying all that we hope for in Your Word. God, we, we cannot explain all that is happening. All we can do now is trust You, rely on You, love one another, hope together. God, give, get us through these difficult times. Let us not be a people whose love grows cold. Let our love burn hot. Let it burn brightly. May we be known for our love. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.